from the Press Box, the Holland Sentinel Sports Staff's weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything sports. I'm sports editor Dan Diodana, along with assistant sports editor Bo Troutman. We are continuing to come to you from our own homes, not actually any press boxes, in case any of you were wondering. But we are trying to get some lively discussions going for this time being while we're all missing sports. The last couple of weeks we've talked about our best moments as fans, our best moments covering things, and today we're going to talk about our favorite athletes and give a you know a, a, a lasting impression story from each of them. Uh, we've got a lot of great athletes, uh, obviously, in the world to talk about. There's plenty of, it'll be interesting to see how we narrow things down. Obviously, mine will be a lot of baseball, but I definitely have some other, other ones in there too. Bo, how's your list shaping up? Good. I was just thinking about it. I don't think any one person will have the same list as me it's very uh very personal <laughs> so i don't know I'm, I'm very curious if there's anyone out there who hears this like oh yeah mine's the same uh then we definitely need to sit down for a, a six feet away cup of coffee so yeah. <laughs> and i would guess that we're probably gonna just generationally you know we're gonna have different lists than each other mm-hmm. which is gonna be good so we can kind of span span a lot longer time period which will be fun so yeah let's actually let's get right to it i mean we've got uh i'll, I'll start with my uh i'm gonna i'm gonna leave my my favorite till the end here but i want to start with my we're gonna start with my first crush you ready for this one <laughs> I'm ready. So, uh, in 1992, I was 11 years old watching the Olympics on TV, and Summer Sanders won the gold medal in the butterfly, and she was the, you know, a great swimmer for for quite a while, and then also went on to do some TV stuff. She was a co-host of NBA Inside Stuff with Ahmad Rashad, and did some Nickelodeon stuff too. Uh, when I covered the Olymp, the, the moment isn't her winning gold in. <laughs> in Barcelona in 92, although I do remember that, and I do, uh, I think I still have the newspaper article of it cut out somewhere, but it's back, it's at the trials now, so now I'm covering it, I know this is not a fan moment technically because I'm working, but I had to talk with her for some of the stories I was working on, Uh, she had some connections to some of the swimmers I was, you know, I was writing about, and she, you know, had no problem doing the interview whenever like that, and for the swimming book that that I did with Caitlin Sandino, she was an important source because Caitlin also went into TV afterward. So long story short, after the trials, she gave me her number and and told me that, you know, that we can do some interviews on the phone or whatever like that. So the moment is adult me looking back at 11 year old me and being able to say, dude, I got Summer Sanders phone number. (laughs) That's my my first one. It's a little it's a little different. Um, But she was, you know, she was definitely one of my favorite athletes growing up anyway. But yeah, so starting with the first crush story, I won't have any other crush stories in this one. But uh, I thought that I always everyone always seems to get a big chuckle out of that one. (laughs) So um, and of course, it was super fun for me, too. So we're going to jump right back into baseball now. For those of you who know, um, baseball is my big passion. I've loved it my whole life. Did my internship at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Been able to cover a lot of big things baseball-wise over the years, which has been super fun. But uh, So I'm, start, I'm going to start with Trammell and Whitaker. They, they go together, so they count as one for me, and most Detroit fans would agree. There's a lot of... I remember them a lot growing up, going to games, things that they did, you know, watching and re-watching things they did in the World Series and playoff moments, but I was only three when they won the World Series, so I don't really remember that. So, But the big, but just watching them day in and day out set the record for being the longest tenured teammates in baseball history. It was great, but the signature moment for me was the final game at Tiger Stadium when they had all the old Tigers parade in one by one, and then they ended it where they came in together. And the, 
the the place that was going nuts already just went absolutely nuts that they came out together because that's how that's how we remember Trammell and Whitaker together everything they did was together hopefully Lou Whitaker will get in the Hall of Fame soon so they can be in the Hall of Fame together but just you know that I remember watching them just about every time I went into Tiger Stadium in my life Uh, they retired only a couple years before you know Tiger Stadium was closed so watching them go out there that was perfect for me a perfect finish for me because that was reminded me of that that's that it's their place and that was my place as a fan and that you know that that just kind of cemented them being at tiger stadium into my brain which is really cool Mm -hmm. so sticking with the detroit theme when the red wings won the cup for the first time in the 90s it just just the entire everything was exciting but steve eisman hitting that overtime winner in the playoffs over the blues uh in game seven where he launched that shot from the blue line that was just kind of like a well i'll see what happens and it went in in a overtime game seven winner was just the most one of the most iconic moments in red wings history and the the one that i just remember the most he was my favorite hockey player growing up he was a lot of people's favorite hockey player growing up and just getting setting the stage to get to you know the stanley cup was such a such an odd goal it's just you know you get over the blue line you slap it in just seeing what happened maybe they're going to go for a line change and the goalie just lost sight of it and it went right in the corner it was and after staying up to watch this game and it kept going and going it just the excitement and just the sheer surprise and shock of it was definitely definitely something i'll never forget most red wing fans will never forget but he was my favorite hockey player so sticking with that theme just a little while later when they won the cup when vlad when vladimir konstantinov picked that cup up and went nuts he shook he went nuts he screamed everything it was this most emotional grabbing of the stanley cup i've ever seen in all my years watching sports and that's my last that's the last time I saw him able to walk because later on he was in a limo accident that paralyzed him and he did not obviously continue to play when they won all their other cups and he was supposed to be part of this defensive dynasty with Nicholas Lidstrom but the last moment that I ever saw him on his feet was when he was holding the cup and giving the most emotional raising of the cup that I've ever seen so he was he's definitely one of my favorites and that moment is something you know another one that I just won't forget so we're going to keep the parade of the Detroit things going. Joe Dumars was my favorite basketball player growing up. And in the NBA Finals against the Lakers, when they finally won, I think it was the one against the Lakers, could have been the one against the Trailblazers. My uh, my memory is starting to fade a little bit. But he had a game where just everything went in for him. He dominated the game. You know, baskets were going in. He scored, you know, almost double what he was scoring in the rest of the NBA Finals. It, they won, the, and it sparked him to go on and win. But his dad died right before the game, mm-hmm. and he didn't know. They didn't tell him because his mom told them not to tell him until after the game. And, you know, they talk about this on the the, uh, the Bad Boys uh, 30 for 30 ESPN documentary about how Isaiah Thomas knew and Coach knew, and that was it. And there was one shot in particular where Dumars floated one up, and it just went up over everybody. It wasn't, you know, kind of one of those weird, awkward shots that just went up and up, and it, and it came down and went in, and he gave this look to Isaiah like, whew, I don't know what happened there. And Isaiah said, you know, the first thing I thought was, well, your dad knocked that one in for you. And just knowing, I mean, knowing that after the game, I, we obviously didn't know beforehand either. But, you know, sport, there's such this iconic bond between fathers and sons in sports. And, you know, fathers and daughters and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons, it's it's, it's much more, uh, it's getting to be every combination of everything, which is good and how it should be. Um, but just, you know, think about being my dad and, you know, shooting hoops in the, in the driveway 
and things like that. Like to to have that moment have that extra meaning was was very was very special looking back on it. I mean, we obviously didn't know during the game, but that was the moment that I always remember about Joe Dumars, and it was super fun. So I'm just wheeling and dealing with the Detroit things here, Bo. I'm really <laughs> yeah. surprised there's so many sports here, presented, to be honest. All right, so we got to go to Barry Sanders now. Barry yeah. Sanders was the best, still the best football player I've ever seen. And in 1994, there was a particular Monday night game where they played in Dallas. And so it was at their at their peak, Barry Sanders versus Emmett Smith, the two greatest running backs. Well, definitely the, not arguably the two greatest running backs of that era by far. That's not an argument. But maybe two of the three or four best running backs of all time. And here they are going head to head. And you know everybody was like, oh, you know it's whatever. It's in Dallas. The Lions stink. The Cowboys are you know won the Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be a rout. Whatever. Barry Sanders had 194 yards on 40 carries and Emmett Smith still had a good game 29 rushes for 143 yards but the Lions won they won on Monday night in Dallas with their throwback uniforms on it was during a time where obviously the Lions didn't get a lot of Monday night games and didn't win a lot of them but there were some years where I felt like the Lions couldn't win a Sunday game they won the they would upset somebody on Monday night they'd win on Thanksgiving if they played a Saturday game they were gonna win they just couldn't win on Sunday which is hilarious really when you think about it but he outplayed dominatingly outplayed Emmett Smith and led them to this upset an overtime upset that was just thrilling that game was the most exciting NFL game that I've ever seen where I had a rooting interest at least you know obviously some Super Bowls have been pretty exciting but as far as the team I was actually rooting for and the excitement that was the best NFL game I've ever seen and it was on Monday night and the game within the game with Barry and Emmett Smith was just awesome so I mean I talked about this a little bit last time uh, my time meeting Desmond Howard randomly um, where my dad found out where he was doing an interview and we got his autograph when I was a kid but watching him return that punt against Ohio State and then flash up the Heisman sign was I mean a lot of people will never forget that just oh, yeah. because it was so I've never seen anyone have the balls to put the Heisman sign like to do the Heisman pose during a game and it wasn't like he was like this overly cocky guy he was like super talkative super smiley everything so it was like i didn't expect that at all Mm -hmm. Um, because well first of all why would you expect anyone to have the audacity to even try that but it totally did seal him getting it and then you know on the famous call keith jackson goes hello heisman right as he was doing it and keith jackson said later he didn't know he was doing it he didn't say that because he was doing it he had already started to say it but obviously you know a punt return touchdown to beat ohio state at home in the big house and then seal a heisman trophy winning season for him that that's yeah. it's tough to top that, that one yeah. on the memory list. That that was that's a moment for moments for Michigan fans, and uh, you know, especially for someone like me who was ten. Mm-hmm. That's those are those things you were, remember everything when you were ten. You know, it's like a sandlot. You know, everything was bigger the deal than it was. Everything was awesome. You know, so yeah. that was one uh, for sure. Uh, I'm gonna jump off the regional area for a little bit here and just talk through i'm gonna throw a couple of them together uh involving the world series i'm wearing joe carter's jersey for my daily jersey series i'm running low bo i've gone like 40 days <laughs> with a different jersey on <laughs> yeah i'm kind sorry. of impressed with the longevity of that yeah thanks I've, I've got a few more days to go but i'm wearing <laughs> joe carter today i was like oh it's it's the 29th he's number 29 let's wear it. so i'm wearing the blue jays joe carter um him hitting the home run in the 93 world series was just unbelievable it was it was game six against the Phillies 
It was a walk-off World Series winning home run, not just Game 6. It won the entire World Series. It was a series walk-off. That had only happened one other time in baseball history, and I was 12, and Joe Carter was one of my favorite players, and he was jumping up and down like a little kid around the bases, and I was jumping up and down just like him in my living room watching that. It was just super exciting. I mean, you don't you don't see your favorite players do that kind of stuff very often. So, But sticking with the World Series, two years before, I was at a sleep over at my friend's house when game six of the 91 World Series between the Twins and Braves was on. And Kirby Puckett, you know, had the game of his life to get to game six or to get to game seven. In game six, he made a leaping catch up against the glass at the old Metrodome to save the game, then hit a walk-off home run, which, you know, started Jack Buck's famous call of, we'll see you tomorrow night. And just... The joy that he played the game, he was all smiles all the time. And to see him do that, especially because we had, uh, we, it was a sleepover and it was a late game and we, we woke up just in time to see the homer. <laughs> We just kind of had it on and, and kind of nodded off as kids do. And But we saw that. And then that led to the next day, which was another one of these moments for me, where Jack Morris, the former Tigers pitcher, was now with his hometown twins, and he pitched a 10-inning shutout in Game 7. I want you to really take two seconds to soak that in. A 10-inning complete game shutout in Game 7 of the World Series. That's insane. That is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. No one's done that since. You know, it's one of those rare feats that just you take over the game when it's on the line in a game seven and it was masterful so those kind of all looped together there with the world series moments in a couple and jack morris was on that joe carter team too so it just it all kind of ties together for sure just got a couple more here my favorite tennis player was andy roddick this is a quick one we my wife and i got to see his last match i mentioned this last time when the fans thing at the olympics we watched him play against Djokovic on center court at wimbledon and it was his last match ever at wimbledon uh because he retired after that which was really awesome to see and a couple more. So I'm going to jump to my, my favorite soccer player. And you, you will no doubt, Bo, have heard of this guy. Such a mm-hmm. household name. Italy's goalkeeper, Gianluigi Buffon. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he was Italy's goalkeeper for four World Cups. So think about that. He was the best goalie arguably in the world for that's 20 years. Mm. That's insane for a goalie to have those kind of reflexes for 20 years. Yeah. And they won the World Cup. I think it was 2006 Cup. My um, Diadana, my last name is Italian. Uh, a lot of you guys probably figured that one out if you didn't know it already. Uh, my grandpa was born in Italy and all his family, they all live in Brooklyn now. They won. Italy won. He Buffon gave up zero goals that weren't penalty kicks in the entire tournament. Not the final. In the entire tournament, there were no regulation goals against Italy. That's insane. Oh my gosh. I mean, they had a good defense too, obviously, but still, that's insane. And then he won. They beat uh, France in a shootout in the final, and he saved the one to get it done. So that was incredible anyway. I was super excited. My great-uncle Jimmy was born in Italy, mm-hmm. lives in Brooklyn, grandpa's brother, kind of has been my pseudo-grandpa since, I mean, my grandpa died when I was five years old, maybe even four. He called me, <laughs> he's in his 80s at this point, right? He, call, he called me and he goes, Dan? I was like, yeah. He's like, we won! <laughs> It was the funniest thing to hear somebody who's like 86 years old screaming like he was five years old uh, that they won, that Italy won the World Cup. He was so excited. 
so that was like that that made that the extra special moment for me so yeah and then i got two left my favorite athlete i'm going to start with because i have a longer story for this last one but yeah. my favorite athlete my favorite baseball player of all time andre doss uh starred for the cubs and before that the montreal expos i first really got into baseball in 1987 and i was six years old I'd come home from school every day and then the cubs would be on wgm because they didn't get lights until 88 so every game was a day game like every cup home game was a day game. They were all on WGN. And that year, he won the MVP. He had 49 home runs. And I swear to you, as a six-year-old kid, I thought he hit a home run every day. Yeah. That's how it seemed. Every time he would come home, i turned turn it on. It was about the third inning at this point. By the time I would get home from school, he'd be up, boom, homer. It seemed like it. Of course, that's not exactly what happened. But to a kid that age, it seemed like, man, every time I come home, I turn on the TV. There he is, and he hits a home run. And it seemed like it was like Groundhog Day. <laughs> where it just kept happening over and over again. But uh, he's my favorite player of all time. Watched him hit a home run in the 91 All-Star game with the Sky Dome that hit the glass of that hotel in center field, deep center field, that the guys were trying to hit during the home run derby. Yeah, he hit it off Clemens during the game. No biggie. <laughs> But as a kid, he had the greatest arm. He was a home run hitter. He's in the Hall of Fame now. He had 400 home runs, 300 steals. Only four guys have done that. And he had a, he used to throw guys out at first, Bo. He was a right fielder. Mm -hmm. If somebody one-hopped him, a lot of times the pitcher, like if they hit a line drive that one-hopped him, he threw them out at first from the out. Oh, my gosh. He did that multiple times in 1987 and multiple more times throughout his career. He would cheat in if it was not a great hitter. He would be in a little bit further. And it would if he, somebody hit one that he thought he could do it, he would throw it to first in the first. <laughs> First baseman knew that that was coming, and he would get get them out. They thought they had a sure base hit. They'd be jogging down. Boom, you're out. It was He was just incredible to watch, and he was just an incredible character in the game, too. He was just very, just kind of what you want, like, looking back. He's what I would want my kid to have as their favorite player. You know what I mean? He was a good person on top of being a great all-around player. Gave a lot back to his community. You know, kind of like... The generation before us, Curtis Granderson was like that too, which is why he was one of my favorites too. So, so Andre Dawson, my favorite player, but my favorite is between. So Granderson was my favorite player in the game now until now. I've only had three favorite players during while they were playing. Andre Dawson was my favorite player. Curtis Granderson was my favorite player since 2000. There was a couple years in the middle there. My favorite player was Ellis Burks. You probably don't remember him. I'm guessing you, Bo, because why would you? Right. But he was a similar kind of guy, but he got hurt mm -hmm. too many times. He was he was the same kind player as Andre Dawson where he could do a lot of things but injuries derailed him he was a solid player you know had a couple of really big years but his knee injuries just kind of hobbled him but he was still a very good player uh, kind of amazingly solid for so long considering what he had to deal with but this is a this is my one of my uh happiest and saddest birthday moments you ready for this one that's so last long. Oh my gosh. So so it was my birthday in what year would this have been? Let me let me get the right year for you here. It was 2003, okay? Mm -hmm. 2003. He was on the Giants. Giants at Bonds, Kent. They had just won the pennant the year before, but lost the World Series to the Angels. But Burks was the right fielder on that team. So I'm like, okay, I had just graduated from college. I was still lifeguarding as my job because I had not, the Sentinel had not called me yet. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And my, my wife, who we were not married at the time, but she was doing her grad student work at Ohio University. So she was hours away. So, and I was like going to see her on the weekend, but this was a Wednesday. So I'm like, great. Wednesday birthday, Wednesday night baseball is on ESPN it was one of those days where it lined up perfectly like the Cubs played an afternoon 
game and then the Tigers played a 97 o'clock game and then the Giants were playing the 10 o'clock game on FX. So see my favorite player and my favorite teams all in a row. This is going to be great. So I just sat there, vegged out, ate a bunch of snacks, you know, the whole day <laughs> by myself. My parents, I was at my parents' house because that's where I lived. I hadn't gotten this job yet. Just chilled out. They were at work. My youngest brother was in high school. They were all gone the whole day. I just chilled out in the basement and just watched these games. And it was great, you know, right? A day of myself and baseball could be a lot worse, right? Right. So the 10 o'clock game comes around. It's a very exciting game. It goes to extra innings, right? Okay. I can't remember who they were playing, the Giants were playing. But it went to extra innings. And I remember, I, like, like extra, extra innings. Like, it's approaching 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. this is great. I'm like, great, more baseball, more excitement. This is going to be the best way to end ever. It's I think it was, like, the 12th inning came up. You know, the Giants got the other team out. They came, they came, were coming up to bat. And I'm like, great, this is going to be great. It was like, like, the big hitters were coming up. So it was like, Kent and Bonds and Burks were coming up. I was like, great. And so I'm pretty sure... If I remember this correctly, whoever batted before Bonds let off with a double. And then you're like, okay, well, they're going to walk Bonds then, right, obviously. That was back when he was hitting a home run, like, every time. <laughs> like, so they walked him. And then, so Burks is coming up. Winning run on second. A, hit, a single wins it. My favorite player coming up in the biggest moment. Beautiful thing, right? He comes up right as he's walking from the on-deck circle to the thing, to the plate. It hits 2 o'clock a.m. on the Eastern Time, uh, Eastern time Zone. And... They FX dropped the game and went to an infomercial that had Chuck Norris. Oh my god! <laughs> it was one of those exercise things, like Chuck, Chuck Norris and Christy Brinkley had these exercise things. Some of you older listeners will remember this, but that's it. Like you, that would never happen today. Oh, let's hope not. But like you stick with the game, right? You know, like right. Oh yeah. So here I am. Now it's two in the morning, and now I'm just pissed. <laughs> <laughs> my whole birthday had culminated to this moment with my favorite player coming up with the game on the line. I didn't get to see many of their games because they're West Coast games and the Giants aren't a team. You know, it's not like Fox Sports Detroit where we have all the Tiger games, you know. Right. So it had all culminated to this and I had nothing. And it was still early days of the Internet. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, as far as pre prevalent internet, you know, it's 2 o'clock now, so you're also too late for SportsCenter. They didn't have SportsCenter running all night like they did then. Their mm -hmm. last one, they had 11, uh, SportsCenter from 11 to 12, then they had Baseball Tonight from midnight to 1, then they had SportsCenter from 1 to 2, and that's it. You don't get another one until the morning. So I'm stuck in this limbo. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no idea what's going on, and I just could not believe it. And yes, he knocked in the winning run, Bo, but oh I did not God. find out until the morning. And oh. I really struggled. I really struggled to fall asleep that night. So it was like the best worst birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, so that yeah. was uh i don't know how you fell asleep that man yeah. story that i will never forget oh my gosh that's wild what a like like it was like perfect timing for that to happen right wow. and and they obviously didn't know what to do uh -huh. when extra innings took it that long because i'm sure that didn't it wouldn't have affected the local game because those two o'clock their time mm -hmm. not my time so that's never in danger for the local game but it's only in danger for the people on East Coast. Uh -huh. Oh man, I was. Uh, you sh you should have seen me, Bo. I don't know if you ever would have ever seen me that angry. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah. Oh man. Definitely threw some things. Some choice words were uh -huh. thrown out there. Of course, I was the only one down in the basement. So yeah. you know, rightfully whatever, so. But. Rightfully so. It was your birthday. Right. You deserved it. Yeah. But so, but then over the years, I'm like, hey, Burke showed up and did got it done on my birthday. It's not his fault. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I I absolutely did try. And, ye and yell at them mm -hmm. but you know when you call a major network you can't really <laughs> you're not going to get it to anybody that's that matters right so oh, yeah man. just just funny just funny so 
there's my list ending with the most epic story probably my least favorite player of the group uh-huh. um but i mean like i have other favorite players obviously like patrick ewing uh frank thomas seemed to hit a home run every game we saw him as growing up mm-hmm. i think he hit like five or six home runs in four games even when we went to toronto sky dome he hit one there when we were there for like spring break <laughs> so yeah um but those are the stories that i remember the most that have the best stories so mm-hmm. and there's nothing beating that burke story <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> so no, yeah, that, right, definitely. Well, that was definitely. Turning it over to you, the next generation of favorite athletes here. All right. Well, hey, that was a good list. You know, it's obviously ours going to be like a little bit different, but like it's cool yeah, to I don't like. Think you're starting with a crush either. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should have though. I should have thought about that that more. But uh, no. Uh, yeah. I know. I liked your list. It was cool to get kind of the different perspective. And obviously, uh, I grew up in the the mid two thousands and stuff. So and kind of the twenty tens. So uh, a lot of my people will be from that but uh to start out uh, number 10 we got uh kobe bryant which still uh you know just thinking about you know kind of his life and kind of how it came to an abrupt end this year uh it's just still very kind of doesn't seem real just kind of like this coronavirus thing it just does not seem like a real like that really happened this is very strange but kobe uh, i remember especially those uh boston lakers final from like Ooh, those are great yeah like the late 2000s and then early 2010s i think i believe there was two series might have been was it two yeah two two series yeah <laughs> At least two. At least two. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the big three with, you know, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce versus, you know, Kobe, Pau Gasol, and whoever else they had. It was more about Kobe, <laughs> I think, back right. then on those teams. You know, those were definitely... I remember, like, totally jumping on, like, the Lakers bandwagon because my parents were from... Well, they lived in uh, Southern California for a long time, and uh, they had Lakers season tickets one year, and, like, I totally jumped on that. It was like, oh, man, the Lakers were my favorite team. Uh, it was always, like, the Lakers West Coast, and then Pistons were, like, my East Coast team growing up nice. and uh kobe was really the primary reason for that kobe was the lakers man like he if there's i don't think there's any other player i mean you know you can bring up those you know those older players like gary west and some other guys but like i feel like there's no other player that really embodies the los angeles lakers like kobe bryant man he, he really is the ultimate laker i think and uh he's definitely cracks the list at number 10 kind of going with that yeah you know kind of going with that theme of kind of like well-known athletes number nine is tiger woods for obvious reasons i think it's a lot of people's favorite golfer of all time especially people like my age bracket you know kind of growing up and kind of seeing his success and I think people like slightly older than me too who like were about like you know like teenagers like when he was winning you know the 97 masters and you know all those special tournaments that made him who he is he definitely like like I said this uh on our top sports moments podcast like every year the masters and like seeing him play at the masters like I get that itch man like oh I gotta go out to the golf courses which by the way are now reopened in Michigan um that's right but every year man the masters are it's like what hypes me up for golf and like Tiger Woods especially and when he won it in 2019 that was like my buddy and I who's also a huge Tiger Woods fan like we're just going nuts when he won it and like we're just on cloud nine and uh reading every article we could about it and every interview we could and it was a really cool moment and it's it really it makes it more sad actually that they didn't have the Masters yet this year uh it's been postponed till I believe November so it's just you know it's good it's not canceled but still it's like you know April you know it's starting to get a little bit warmer it's like you know for me man that's that's Tiger Woods time. It's like, what's Tiger going to do this year? How close is he going to get to Jack Nicholas in that majors record? Uh, and I hope he breaks that. You know, that's, if I could see that in my lifetime, I'll be happy. You know, that'd be sweet. That would be super cool for 
sure. Yeah. So uh, that'll be number nine. Number eight is uh, Araldus Chapman, actually the closer uh, for the Yankees, formerly of the Cubs and the Reds. I'm a big. I told Dan this several times. I'm a big. Uh, I'm big on closers. I think it's really cool that there's actually a job out there for a pitcher where it's like you need to go in in the most pressure situation of the entire game and go get the win. Like that's to me. I mean that takes some cojones to really uh, do that kind of job. And Araldus Chapman, man, he he really is unique because his arm strength. I mean to go to average over a hundred miles an hour, like consistently over years, is like incredible to me. And I think that just like you know the, the Cuban Missile and all his nicknames and like just you know it's it's pretty cool. And like um, I have a special kind of moment with him where you know, and I talked about this too already on a previous podcast was when they when the Cubs won the World Series and he was a big part of that. I mean that was just really cool. You know that he just gotten there they got him at the trade deadline during that the regular season and then for him to do that and the way that they did it you know the, the rain delays and like you know people kind of said that joe madden kind of overused him that was wouldn't really you? what's up wouldn't you overuse oh heck yeah if i had that yeah for well, everything exactly i never got those arguments it's like dude you're going you're trying to you know etch your name in history here <laughs> it's like right. sometimes push comes to shove so uh for sure to me, him being a lefty closer uh-huh. makes it extra special, too, because there's been very few le- great lefty closers, and the fact that he was throwing like 103 miles an hour as a lefty just looks so different. Yeah, right. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, because it's like they say that, like, you know, if you're if you, if you you're a lefty and you have a good fastball, it's like that's like the golden ticket. And, like, he has, I mean, he has like a freaking platinum ticket, man. That guy, <laughs> that's like amazing. He's like the epitome of, like, you know, what every left-handed pitcher in baseball is like, oh, if I can get a good, you know, mid-90s fastball fastball that's my ticket in and like dude this guy has a mid 100 <laughs> i mean that's yeah. you know what, what he's crazy. been clocked at like 107 i think which is crazy. insane yeah so uh definitely a this chat he's probably definitely one of my favorite baseball players of all time i never but baseball is not my favorite sport of all time but like that's right nobody's perfect but... yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean but like Araldus definitely is the one that's had like the biggest impact on me um cool. for sure so all right moving on uh, number seven for me is uh alan iverson i remember yeah. in high school one time i had a friend over for a sleepover and i dropped i think it was like 90 points on him with alan iverson and he actually got mad and went to bed he's like all right man screw this like you know but no like obviously a lot of people like alan iverson um for obvious reasons you know just a pure scorer pretty much put the 76ers on his back and they made the finals that one year in uh 2001 so but like you know, he kind of had a local connection where, you know, he got to the Pistons, and I, for one, was excited. You know, looking back, I think that was a bad trade, but at the time, you know, I was pretty excited for that, and, like, j- just to think, you just, you know, the words, you know, AI is on the Pistons. I mean, that's just an exciting thing, and, uh, you know, at the, he didn't really pan out for the, the Pistons, but, like, before that, he was still just his scoring ability, his attitude, you know, the whole the whole practice interview, you know. I think he really... Yeah, talk about practice. Yeah, talk about practice, what? And, uh, <laughs> kind of one of those legendary sports moments. But, uh, yep. no, I think, uh, I, I don't think there's ever been, I mean, if you talk about top 10 just pure scorers, you know, no other category, just scoring. I mean, I think Allen Iverson's in the top 10, if not like the top five or top three. So, absolutely, uh, absolutely. He was so small. Yeah, that's another thing. For He's him tiny. To be able to yeah. do that, yeah. I tower over him. Yeah. At 6'1". <laughs> <laughs> right, which is for crazy. Him to do that over the tall, tall guys mm. and everything. I mean, just unbelievable. Yeah. Definitely. And it gave hope to guys. Like, I used to play basketball. It's really the only sport I truly, like, actually, like, attempted in high school. And, like, you know, for me, like, it was like, 
he kind of showed, you know, yeah, it's not all, you know, six ten guys or whatever, you know. And me standing at five foot six, uh, you know, I was like, hey, you know what? It's not just a tall man's game. So definitely well, AI. What happened to your pull up jumper, your mid range jumper, Bo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, another big influence, yeah, Kyle Korver. That's the Kyle Korver influence, the 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 jumper, the mid range jumper. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, I think I think that goes in at number seven, and at number six, coming in after AI, this is where it gets a little bit more. Like you know, don't get me wrong, all ten of these guys are important to me, but this is where it starts to heat up a little bit. Uh, number six is uh, Randy Moss. Um, I totally fell in love with that dude. Like you know, in the total sports platonic way. He's a crush. Yeah. And, and the 2007 season when the Patriots were, you know, undefeated. And I'll never forget, like, there's a couple moments from that season that I'll never forget. The first thing is just the fact that Randy Moss had 23 receiving touchdowns in the regular season alone. Which is like... That's it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But think about that. 23 in a season where he wasn't... I mean, they always knew, like, that's who they were going to. And then they had other guys... There's only 16 games. Right, there's only 16 games, so like if you're double covering that guy every single game, it's like oh, it's easy. It's like okay, cover Randy Moss. We'll worry about everybody else. And still, he had one of the greatest seasons put together by a wide receiver like ever. And there was that 16th game uh, against New York, the Giants, not the Super Bowl, but there was the week. I believe it was week 16 or week 17 where uh, the Patriots needed the last win to stay undefeated, and they beat the Giants like 38 to 35. And I remember Randy Moss just had like a killer game and like made some really great catches and was like huge. And then completing you know, that 16-0 and season. And obviously, they didn't go all the way undefeated, made it to the Super Bowl, lost to the Giants, uh, my favorite Super Bowl of all time. But still, I mean, it doesn't take away from the fact that the Patriots... I think, you know, they play the Giants 10 times out of 10. I mean, I mean nine times out of 10, they're going to get that win. But, uh, you know, David Tyree obviously had other plans um, in the yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, his helmet did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, Randy Moss. I actually had his jersey. It got stolen, though, in a weird turn of events. That's that's a whole other story. <laughs> but, yeah, but Randy Moss is uh, definitely one of my favorite NFL players, if not, honestly, if not my favorite NFL player of all time. So Awesome. Um, he's definitely in the discussion. So, moving on. To number five, keeping it with football. Um, I kind of got a tie here, uh, and I'll explain why. Um, it's a tie between Ohio State football players uh, Malcolm Jenkins, James Laurinaitis, and Beanie Wells. Um, Malcolm Jenkins was the cornerback, Laurinaitis was the linebacker, and then Beanie Wells was the running back, all on the same team. Um, I got into football in the late 2000s, like um, like a 2007 was like the first season I actually watched like every game, and uh, those guys were like, the leaders of that team, and like they really made it special. I mean, it helped, you know, just being an Ohio State fan in general. It's just pretty easy to be honest <laughs> it's not very hard you know i have some friends i have some friends that are rutgers fans and like season ticket holders and uh you know they i, I could just, I just can't even imagine it it's like how do you stay interested in that kind right. of football you know it's like where ohio state michigan fans don't really have that problem and uh so it was really crucial them being so good when i first got into it it was like wow this is special this is cool i want to keep watching this and uh especially like malcolm jenkins i remember he was a thorpe award winner and i remember this one game where he it was against some like some lower level team like ohio or like akron somebody like that he he just had this crazy like diving back interception it'll never be in like top moments you know national top moments because just because it was just some whatever game and it wasn't like, like a crucial moment in the game but it was just like this guy is so good <laughs> like so like lord nitus and beanie wells obviously uh beanie was a heisman candidate um always in that discussion yeah he was a beast man 
<laughs> uh, I remember that actually that season, 2007. I remember Ohio State beat Michigan 14 to three, and he had 222 rushing yards. I'll never forget that. Like, and that's he, why I hate him. Yeah, it, <laughs> that it was, game. Yeah, it was like a cold, rainy day, kind of like today. You know, just kind of a crappy day, and yeah, he just tore him up. And oh man, some great memory. I remember that same year we we made the BCS national championship after some upsets in that last week of the college football season, and uh, I remember he had like a 60 yard run to start that LSU-Ohio State game from 2007. And Ohio State went on to lose, but uh, that was like a cool, just a cool group of players. Those teams, Jim Trestle coaching, um, I got a lot of great memories from that time. And and also, to just kind of leapfrog on that, I actually have uh, my mom, interestingly enough, without my knowledge, wrote a letter to Jim Trestle just like thanking him. Like, you know, oh, this is so important to my son, blah, blah, blah. And he actually wrote me back, <laughs> which and wow. I, st- I still have the letter. I don't think I told you about that before, Dan. No, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, uh, I actually have a handwritten, not handwritten. It was hand, it was signed by him. Not it was sure. t- it was typed up. But uh, yeah, I have a signed letter from Jim Trestle. It's in my room somewhere. Um, yeah, so that he's definitely uh, those teams and that you know those players, those captains on those teams uh, from 2007 2008 era were pretty important to me so um very cool yeah so that's uh that, that starts off the top five and uh moving on to number four uh is ben wallace uh a guy who i met yeah. <laughs> this year which is like nice just saying that is uh really strange but um you know I, I grew up you know digging the afro and the number three you know everything all the things that pistons fans loved about him uh i remember my family stumbled upon the malice at the palace randomly it was going on and we like we turned it on and we're like whoa what's going on and you know, just this iconic, probably one of the top five iconic Pistons moment that he was a part of. You know, obviously for maybe not the right reasons, but it's still awesome <laughs> in my mind in some weird way. But yeah, I love Ben Wallace. Just a guy who's just a, a d- defensive nightmare. I really like defensive basketball. It's part of why I kind of hate the NBA nowadays. It's just, it's all <laughs> offense and, you know, super team oriented. I miss the games where like, you know, there's that epic Tayshaun Prince chase down block on Reggie Miller right. from back and in the every day. every team seemed to have like a Draymond Green. Yeah, exactly. Like the that good teams at least. Right. Like that good defensive guy. Yeah. And like the fact that that's just like kind of by the wayside now. It kind of hurts, you know. That's what made the Pistons so awesome to watch was like, you know, just their defensive prowess and how good they were. You know, they stopped the Lakers, you know, beat Shaq and Kobe. You know, it's like it's just not a part of the game anymore. It's like, you know, there's like these 130 to 120, you know, final score games. And it's like I, I kind of miss that. Those, you know, those 80. 80- no, the purest in me totally misses that stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like two years later, I think, right, the Pistons were in the finals against the Spurs, mm-hmm. and it was by far the lowest scoring finals of all time. Like some of the games were like in the seventies. Yeah, and yeah. and it was, but unfortunately, it was also like the lowest rated finals ever. And I was like, really? Because you have two of the most masterful teams of all time here. They just don't score a ton of points. Right. But like yeah. watching them slow it down and play chess style defense against each other was pretty awesome. Right. Yeah, I definitely miss that. It's like, you know, I don't get me wrong, you know, there are good things about, you know, like, the Warriors championship runs and stuff were very entertaining to watch, but, like, I think basketball has kind of, like, changed forever, and, like, you know, it's kind of the Pistons are kind of one of the last teams of that old guard where it was, like, you know, defense wins championships, right? I really don't think that's the case anymore, so. Unfortunately. Yeah. 
So got to give the hat tip to Ben Wallace. And when I met him in person, you know, he's very nice and gave me his full attention. Um, you know, it was really, I, I still think back to that, you know, that I was like two feet away from Ben Wallace before all the COVID stuff, luckily. And, right. uh, he's like three times your size. Exactly. Yeah. And well, but the interesting thing about that was when I saw him, he don't get me wrong, he's tall, but he's not like ridiculously tall. And it, it kind of made it more amazing. It's like this guy single-handedly shut down, like, well, not single-handedly, but you know, it was a big reason that why they shut down Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant in the NBA right. finals. Like that's and amazing. He's a four-time NBA defensive player of the year as yeah. a completely undersized center. Exactly. So, like, when I saw him, he was sitting in, like, a recliner, and uh, when I saw him, I was like, wait a minute, that guy stopped seven foot two Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, like, whoa, man, that's amazing. You know, it's almost more amazing. So, right. yeah, definitely Ben Wallace deserves a spot in the top five. So big hat tip to that guy. I love that guy. My favorite basketball player by far. He's a good dude. Yeah. And, yeah, that's another thing. He's just a nice guy. And he's human, you know? In that story I wrote about him, you know, he, he kind of had some missteps in life, and he talked really really openly about that with me and I thought that was really cool that he just kind of owned it and he moved on from it and you know he's making waves in the the G League which I think is really awesome so character it's a thing it is yeah, it's like, you know, honest character, not that, you know, PR kind of oriented one. I mean, it's just real. It's right. like, yeah, he was so real. So, yeah, I really, really appreciate that dude and what he's done for basketball. So, and that takes me to number three, and we're really heating up here. Number three is Darren McFadden, uh, former running back of the Oakland Raiders. Uh, I actually have a fat head of him on my wall to this day that I got for Christmas. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Raiders fan. Um, you know, I was technically born in California, but it was really more about, I kind of used that as kind of like a credibility thing. Thing. But like it was more about I made a conscious decision that I know I don't want to be a Lions fan and thank God oh my God that I made that decision. Um, but I want to be a Raiders fan just because their attitude. You know Al Davis is still alive when I was when I became a fan and that whole just like what we you know whatever we're gonna do it our way. We're gonna you know if you're not cheating you're not trying. That whole mentality man like you know the bad boy kind of image that kind of parallels with the bad boy image of the Pistons a little bit was a huge reason why you know I got into that and uh, you know Darren McFadden was one of the first players. You know, one of the first superstars they had when I became a fan, which is around, you know, like I said, 2007, 2008. And, uh, you know, they had just gotten him. And he, for a couple years before injuries kind of derailed his career, he was super exciting to watch, man. Uh, I talked about on previous podcasts about that 2011 season where, you know, and even the 2010 season where he had one year where he had like 1,100 yards rushing. Um, you know, it was arguably one of the top running backs in the league for one year. But then injuries just, yeah, you know, he always had injury problems and never really realized his potential. He tried to kind of revive it in Dallas and it just showed that he was kind of a shell of himself and but for those Raiders fans man and then I know that you know people will laugh and say like oh what you know the year they went eight and eight or whatever yeah that's true but like there were some truly exciting moments especially I mean they were bad bad like in the early I mean like the mid 2000s like 2003 to like 2009 I mean they were like terrible like really terrible where at least in you know 2009 2010 they were like like presentable like they could compete you know and that was like there were some special times and Raiders fans are passionate they've never given up on their team and I really respect them for that I got to sit in the black hole one year and it's just that whole culture and Darren McFadden was like a huge part of like kind of carrying that on and kind of keeping Raiders football somewhat interesting even if we weren't winning championships or anything so um 
Yeah, I love cool. love Darren McFadden. Run DMC, DMAC, whatever you want to call him. He was uh, he was a beast, man. Not many people, you know, I think he'll be forgotten kind of as the NFL kind of moves on. But like he he was really good. So I it was a sh- that's a shame too because I remember him like at Arkansas, right? And mm-hmm. he was he was a Heisman finalist. And when I like his first year in the pros and stuff, I thought he really could be one of the all time greats. Oh yeah, like he was one of the like just the physical ability of him, um, which is a lot of times those are the guys that end up getting hurt though of course but like he he was one of the few guys over the years since the Barry Sanders you know Emmett Smith group that I was just like that I actually thought in college he could be one of the best pros mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, mean, I remember like he was on the cover of one of the NCAA football games from back in the day and then I remember Arkansas they had like uh I think it was called the Razorback formation or something like that where right. He would line up at quarterback, and they did. It was like the Wildcat before the Wildcat. It was weird. He would even pass. He could throw a little bit too. I remember, like, just a super talented football player, man. And yeah, it's like it's weird. He went from like some people thought he should have won the Heisman too his last year at Arkansas. Some people thought he really should have won. I would have voted for him. Yeah, and I believe that was the year Troy Smith won it over him from Ohio State. I believe. Uh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I believe he's the one who beat him out actually. So, um, but yeah, he was a he was really great, and I hope he isn't like forgotten because he he was a special talent who just unfortunately had injury problems and yeah just one of the probably one of the all-time great Oakland Raiders I would even say so which isn't really saying a lot for the last 20 years but still uh, he was great. for what it's worth yeah all right and that brings me to number two um not a surprise if you know me uh Michael Vick I'm actually I'm looking at his jersey that I have of him right now <laughs> it's in this very room um I love Michael Vick I always have I always will he was one of those first football players where it was like whoa dude <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy's different. And actually, it's kind of weird. What happened was, you know, I got into football um, and kind of, like, right when he went to prison. And so that was kind of one of the big stories at the time. So I was kind of keeping up to date with that. And so I'm like, all right, who is this guy? So I, I remember looking up his highlight videos. I remember there's this one highlight video in particular. And I remember seeing, like, all of his iconic moments, you know, beating the Packers in the playoffs, um, having that crazy overtime touchdown run where he made the two Minnesota defenders run into each other. And I was, like, watching all these highlights, and I was just like, I remember just like this feeling of like loss i was like dude this guy is missing out on the prime of his career because of like you know some pretty horrible things he did with the dog fighting and you know i i really like started reading about his career and like you know i really like kept close tabs and like you know if he was going to come back to the nfl which he obviously did eventually and um and i think it's really a, a, kind of like a true story of like reform too you know he kind of went from kind of kind of this not very good guy you know where he, he had some controversial moments where he was you know flipping off fans and stuff and obviously the dog fight and, you know, he's like a changed man. If you watch any of his interviews from his time with the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, he really, really turned his life around. And I, I really, it really just goes to show, man, that a second chance, you know, can really uh, mean a lot to some people. And he really took his and ran with it. So... Uh, literally uh definitely yeah yeah he's one i think he's you know obviously with lamar jackson now who's kind of been anointed as like the next michael vick and we'll see what lamar does but you know until lamar proves me wrong i think that you could probably safely say michael vick was probably the greatest running quarterback of all time um in the nfl just truly electric uh player so um yeah definitely definitely a big fan of him so he he's definitely number two um Ooh, that means i know who number one is yeah dan already knows number one i'm pretty sure everybody who knows me uh sports related on uh, knows who number one is and that is a former ohio state quarterback former oakland raiders quarterback slash receiver uh terrell Pryor. that dude um you know like i said i've mentioned several times now you know right when i got into football you know the circus that was his recruitment between ohio state michigan oregon and penn state I 
I mean, it was like it was like a reality TV series. It was insane. It was like no other player since then, even you know, not even like Braxton Miller um, or any of those other great Ohio State players in the last couple of years. J.K. Dobbins, nobody had like the celebrity status that Terrell Pryor did. It was and it was like for good reason. There aren't many six foot six high school freshmen who I believe I used to know it by heart, which is actually kind of weird. But I used to know his high school stats by heart. But I believe his senior year of high school, he had I want to say he had like thirty rushing touchdowns and I think like 20 passing touchdowns or something like that at uh for Jeanette High School in Pennsylvania and uh it was truly exciting and and no one really knew where he was going to go you know it was like every day it was like oh he's going to go to Michigan or oh he's going to go to Penn State and then you know finally news came out that uh he was going to go to Ohio State which of course all my Michigan fan friends said of course you know Jim Trestle paid him off blah 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 which probably isn't Probably isn't far off from the truth, <laughs> looking back. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, just, you know, it was what it was. Yeah, so, but, uh, you know, I think that he probably would have been way better had he went to, like, Oregon or something. Because the thing is, the thing people forget, and I will defend him till the day, because people always say, oh, he can't throw, he's just an athletic guy, whatever. That's not true, man. Like, I watched all those games, every single one. He, yeah, at first he was kind of rough, but, like, if you look at his his record in bowl games, he was 2-1 and one in bowls. You know, he won us a Rose Bowl, won us the show. Sugar Bowl, which, you know, technically doesn't count anymore because of NCAA sanctions. And then in the Fiesta Bowl against Texas uh, and Colt McCoy, we almost won. It was really close, and we still were running like a two-quarterback system with him and then uh, Todd Beckman, uh, another a former Ohio State quarterback that uh, beat up on Michigan a couple times. And uh, so, I mean, he really did kind of progress into really a pretty serviceable thrower, and he was actually quite good at it. Because if you really take into account that he wasn't in the offense that suited his skill set, he was in a pro-style Jim Trestle offense. Now, they kind of catered to his skill set, but, like, still, he was doing the things he was doing out of, like, the eye formation, <laughs> which is so weird. He was never meant for that. He, he was meant for, you know, Rich Rodriguez football. You know, he he honestly should have went to Michigan or Oregon. But, right. uh, you know, I'm glad he didn't uh, because he was still really great, and he, we still made it work with him. And there's some truly iconic moments um, just to Ohio State fans. I mean, you know, there was a game against Northwestern where I, I seriously saw it was one of the greatest throws on the run that I've ever seen where he was running to the sideline. He got all the way to the sideline, and then he just whipped it into the end zone completely across his body, and it was like a perfect throw. <laughs> for a touchdown and uh there's a game against Illinois where like this guy was coming blindside and just like Terrell just like ducked just like sensed it ducked the dude like flew over him and then he ran for like a 30 yard game like so many little moments like that where it's just like this guy is truly there won't be many like athletically speaking there won't be many Terrell Priors ever again a guy who's that big you know like 6'6 230 who can run like a 4'3 I mean that's just incredible um yeah especially those kind of guys usually end up in the NBA exactly yeah and he was he was a four-star uh, basketball recruit as well. So, and I know that early on he, he even considered being a two-sport athlete, um, which would have been kind of crazy. But um, yeah, he. And then the Raiders, you know, my favorite NFL team, got him coincidentally, and he still holds the record for longest uh, run by a quarterback, ninety-five yards against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, wow. So, and I saw that live actually. So, um, That's awesome. you know, he's a weird player. You know, even in the NFL, the one year where he was the starter before getting benched, um, he really played well. I remember Andrew Luck. Spoke very highly of him in a game, a Colts Raiders game. Um, what happened was though, and people won't read between the lines. They'll just say, "Oh, well, he sucked, and that was it." No, he actually did pretty well. But then he got hurt, and he hid it from his coaches, who already wanted to go with a different quarterback because they didn't like his skill set. And he tried to play with the injury, and then he ended up um, kind of playing terribly. And 
and then you know the rest is kind of history and he turns into a wide receiver blah 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 um and i could go on forever and i i've kind of realized how nerdish i've gotten about this <laughs> but uh, yeah he's We're supposed to be nerdish yeah the, the last thing I'll say is, like, just to drive home this point, like, why he's number one. Because, you know, there's a lot greater athletes in my list than him. Uh, sure. But, like, the one thing I'll say is, like, I remember my dad and I were walking through, like, a Ohio State, like, fan shop in Columbus. And I remember they had, like, a deal going on. It was, like, you know, all jerseys, you know, X percentage off. And I remember there was a little asterisk at the end that said, except for number two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, number two. Number two is full price. And they were sold out of number two, which, of course, was Terrell Pryor. Uh, he was truly uh, an enigmatic guy, but I really think uh, he's really kind of an underrated gem that Ohio State had. So uh, he, he reels it in for me at number one. So, yeah. Very cool. That'll do it for me. So very cool. Well, we had definitely did not double up on any of our lists. Although yeah. uh, Ben Wallace is pretty close to being mm-hmm. on mine too. Um, he was my favorite from that next group after Joe Dumars retired, mm-hmm. and I remember watching him uh, beat uh, him and the Pistons beat the Lakers that year. That was that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool. That's the best part about sports, right? I mean, you could get you could get ten people in a room to name their ten favorite players, and the odds are, I mean, even the same ages. The the odds are, you know, there'll be a couple, you know, any like a bunch of people your age, Bo. I'm mm-hmm. sure Kobe will be on a lot of people's lists, mm-hmm. and maybe Tiger Woods, but not everybody else, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's it's kind of cool that most people on a list like that will probably everyone will probably have seven unique of their ten, mm-hmm. unless they just you know unless everybody you know if unless they for some reason pick all you know LeBron, Kobe, and just go through like that or something like that. Like or at my age, if you're like who are your top ten you know favorite players, and you're like little Magic Bird. Jordan, mm-hmm. Isaiah, uh, Kareem, <laughs> you know, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing, and Charles Barkley. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you might get some crossover there because you're going to hit some people's in that group. But, uh, yeah. um, you know, yeah, who, who's, who's your favorite players? The Dream Team. All of them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's the best part. And there's different sports and different things. I would if you, you know, even a few years ago, if you would have told me that one of my top 10 moments of one of my favorite athletes was going to be a soccer player, I would have never believed you. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and then there's, there's just, think of all the guys too that we just, love but they didn't have a specific maybe a specific moment i love watching dominique wilkins dunk mm-hmm. one of my favorite basketball players james Worthy's is one of my favorite basketball players ozzy smith's my favorite one of my favorite baseball players and besides him flipping you know doing the backflip on the field mm-hmm. there isn't one significant memory i have of him until he happened to be the inductee in the hall of fame the year that i worked there but that's mm-hmm. more of a work memory then you know what i mean so like right. there's just so many different layers of it which is so cool yeah. Um. Uh, and 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 so many different sports. I mean, there's. I mean, Mike Singletary was one of my favorite football players as a kid. His big eyes, you know, as a linebacker, was coming at you, and those eyes got, you know, as big as like the moon. It looked like. Yeah. So it's just it's very very fun, very fun. Well, yeah. uh, and who knows if it'll change? Mm-hmm. You know, like over the years too. You you know your top ten kind of moves around a little bit mm-hmm. um, as you see more sports, obviously. So right. there's always that special spot. Like you were saying those. There's a lot of athletes that were like it right when you got into sports, and that's mm. the same for me too. Um, you know, so yeah, it's just it makes sense. That's there's nothing quite like that that uh, that kid love yeah. of sports, like, like the honeymoon period. Of athletes. Yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure. You don't know about stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Gosh, I mean, I can't even. 
imagine what the 98 home run chase between Maguire and Sosa would have been like if I actually like understood the whole steroid issue until <laughs> right. later. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, I mean, now it was hidden from most people. Most people didn't know and didn't want to know. <laughs> you know, didn't want to believe it. Um, and it all came out later. But like, you know, that's that's what it's like. You know, when you grow up as a kid and watch sports it's supposed to be like that you're supposed to you know do that but yeah. you know sounds like for the most part we've got some pretty good you know good characters behind our good our favorite athletes too which is mm. uh, makes it a little extra special too because mm. that legacy lasts long so right but yeah cool man blessed List. Yeah, you too, man. All right, everybody. If you got some uh, bones to pick with either of our lists or, <laughs> or uh, want to let us know who your favorite athletes are, you know, feel free to shoot us an email at sports at hollandsentinel.com or tweet at us or whatever you want to do. Um, but uh, hopefully you just take some time to think about your favorites and enjoy it, at least us talking a little bit about, about ours. So uh, have a good week, and we will be back with another fun sports topic in this non-sports time next week.